Welcome to Faith Life Fellowship Podcast with Dr. Scott Forrest. Today, Dr. Forrest concludes with part three of his teaching on the baptism of the Holy Spirit. All right, praise the Lord. We're going to talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. This will be part three in the series. And by way of introduction, we've been talking about this topic for the last couple of weeks. In our first session, we showed through a study of the scriptures that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is an experience that is subsequent to the born again or the salvation experience. In our second session, we showed in the scriptures that speaking with tongues was and is the initial evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And in this final session, we're going to delve a little deeper into the subject of speaking with other tongues and talk about why it's so vital to the growth and development of the born-again, spirit-filled believer. Amen. First of all, let me say that speaking in tongues is the initial evidence or the sign that the born-again believer has been filled or baptized with the Holy Spirit. We talked about this last week, but I wanted to hit Mark chapter 16, verse 15 through 20 to emphasize that. This is in the King James Version. This is Jesus speaking. And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but... He that believeth not shall be damned. And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name shall they cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. I like that about Jesus. He begins the sign gifts with the two most controversial. Amen. They shall cast out devils and they shall speak with new tongues. I like the spirit of Jesus. Amen. They shall take up or contend with serpents. And if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. So then after the Lord had spoken unto them, he was received up into heaven and sat on the right hand of God. And they went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following. Amen. Hallelujah. So the thing I wanted you to see is one of the signs that Jesus said to look for that would follow or accompany believers is they shall speak with new tongues. Amen. It's in the scriptures. All right. So we're going to talk about five reasons every believer should be speaking in tongues. Now, I grew up Episcopal. I was not born again. I grew up in church. I was taught the Bible, yet none of it meant anything to me. I got invited to a young charismatic youth group. And I came among people that were doing things like raising their hands, talking in tongues, singing in tongues, stuff that was totally foreign to me. But I had not been prejudiced for or against tongues. In fact, I had never heard of speaking with tongues until I actually heard it for the first time. So kind of felt weird about it, but also there was a strange draw. I felt drawn to these people because they had something I knew that I didn't have. Long story short, I got invited to a youth retreat, and I got born again and filled with the Spirit on Grandfather Mountain in April of 1972. That's my background. Five reasons why believers should be speaking in tongues. Number one, speaking in tongues is a gift of God that is for all Spirit-filled believers. Now, the Apostle Paul devoted three chapters of his first letter to the Corinthians to the subject of spiritual gifts. In chapter 12, he outlines the gifts of the Spirit. Verse 8 through 10, he talks about the nine so-called charismatic gifts. In chapter 13, he talks about how the gifts are not effective unless they're administered in love. Amen? 
And then chapter 14, he devotes an entire chapter. Now, we know he didn't write it in chapters, but an entire body of his letter was dedicated to explaining the gift of tongues. So it's not an unimportant subject. It's not something we can put on the shelf. If the Bible spent this much time talking about tongues, we should at least read and understand what Paul was saying to the Corinthian church. Amen? First Corinthians 14, verse 1 through 5 in the English Standard Version, and I will probably discuss each verse as I go. Hallelujah. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. All the gifts have to be pursued and administered in love if they're going to be effective. Amen? Pursue love and then earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. So right off the bat, you know that if you're talking to God, that's prayer, right? So this verse is not necessarily talking about speaking in tongues publicly. This verse is addressing the fact that there are people who pray in tongues. For one who speaks in a tongue or prays in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. When you pray in tongues, you're praying out the mysteries of God for you, for your spouse, for your fellow saints, as directed by the Holy Spirit within you. Amen. Now, here's the thing that most people miss about 1 Corinthians 14. Tongues is primarily a private devotional prayer language between you and God. What happens in chapter 14 is Paul talks about how that tongues uh, should be something that you do privately to edify yourself, but when you come into a public assembly, the rules change. Okay? Amen. When you come to the public assembly, people are not going to know what you're talking about if you start praying or speaking in tongues to them. Amen. It's not a language they're likely to understand. So it needs to be interpreted. Verse 3. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. Verse 4. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up or edifies, the King James says, builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. So it's not wrong to build up or edify yourself. It's just better in a public setting if you interpret, and that equals prophecy, so that everyone around you can be edified and built up. Amen? Everybody see that? Verse 5. Now, here is the punchline I want to get to. People say the Bible says that not everyone has to speak in tongues or gets to speak in tongues, rather. But verse 5 is one of those scriptures I call right between your eyes scriptures. Verse 5 says, now I want you all to speak in tongues. There it is in the scriptures. Paul said, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. It's not an either or. You know, the King James says, I would that you all spoke with other tongues but rather that you prophesy. It almost makes it seem like you have to choose, but you don't have to choose. Now, I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. So what can we learn from these first five scriptures? 
Paul makes it clear that if you speak in tongues in a public assembly, it must be interpreted so that it edifies everyone in the assembly. Essentially, he says also that tongues with interpretation is equivalent to prophecy. Amen. Either you can just prophesy outright or you can give a message in tongues and have someone interpret that and it's equivalent to prophecy. But it edifies the body, not just the speaker. Amen. What else can we glean from these five scriptures? How about this very useful rule of thumb concerning when tongues needs to be interpreted and when it does not need to be interpreted? Amen. Here's my rule of thumb. Over 45 years of praying in tongues. Tongues spoken. Listen, this is so simple. People get this so messed up and it's so simple. Tongues spoken to God in prayer or in worship, whether privately or corporately, does not need to be interpreted. Amen. How many know God understands every language? You know, Paul said, though, I speak with the tongues of men and angels and have not love. I'm wasting my time. Okay, so evidently there is angelic tongues and there's known languages. Either way, whatever comes out of your mouth to God, he understands. Amen. So it does not need to be interpreted. Amen. However, tongues spoken to men in a public assembly needs to be interpreted. Amen. There might be somebody there that understands the language you're speaking, but most likely there won't be. So Your tongues to a public assembly needs to be interpreted to be in order according to the scriptures. Amen. Hallelujah. And this is borne out and amplified throughout the rest of chapter 14, which we don't have time to read. Amen. Read it on your own. All right. Now, I want to hit this right off the bat. Here's a couple of scriptures people use to say that tongues is not for all. 1 Corinthians 12, 28 through 30. Again, in the English Standard Version. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? Well, the obvious answer is no. Okay. So people take this out of context and say, see, Do all speak with tongues? This means some people do and some people don't. Amen. Well, not really. Is God schizophrenic or is something else going on here? Because, you know, we just read in chapter 14, verse 5, I want you all to speak in tongues. That was Paul inspired by the Holy Spirit who said, I want you all to speak in tongues. Okay, so there's something else going on. Well, if you compare this verse with Ephesians 4.11, which is the fivefold ministry, apostle, prophet, pastor, teacher, evangelist, amen, you'll find out that this is referring to people, men and women of God, who operate in those gifts, apostle, prophet, pastor, teacher, evangelist, and along with those gifts come certain charismatic gifts that occur consistently in their life. Ricky Leonard is an evangelist. He goes all over the world. And he operates in word of wisdom and word of knowledge, calling out sickness and calling out disease, and people are healed. It's just one of those things that's consistently operating in his life. 
Okay? So you say word of knowledge is a gift that he has. Word of uh, wisdom is a gift that he has. Discerning of spirits is a gift that he has. But not everybody functions consistently in those gifts the way that he does because not everybody's called to be an evangelist. Everybody understand what I'm talking about here? So it's a misapplication of that scripture to say, do all speak with tongues? That means some do, some don't. Well, what that means is that some of these five-fold men and women have the gift of tongues and interpretation that operate consistently in their ministry. Amen? So it's not a proper application, and it doesn't make any sense because if you read that in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 30, and then barely a chapter later in 14, verse 5, it says, I want you all to speak with tongues. Is God, like I said, schizophrenic, or do we not have a complete understanding of what he's trying to say? Is everybody with me? I hope I haven't lost anybody. Amen. All right, here's another scripture passage people use to say that tongues has passed away entirely. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 8 through 12. It's interesting because it's in the love chapter, which really is how to administer the gifts in love. Amen. 1 Corinthians 13, 8 through 12. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. Amen. So the argument goes... That which is perfect is referring to the completed Old and the New Testament. So when we got that in approximately 96 A.D., we didn't have a need for the gifts of the Spirit anymore because we had the complete Word of God. Well, is that really what's being said here? For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. How many here have been face to face with Jesus lately? Now I know in part, then I shall know fully even as I have been fully known. How many have stared into the face of Jesus and looked at his resurrected body in your resurrected body and said, hey, you look just like me. Oh, wait a minute. I look just like you. Amen. This is talking about the second coming of Christ when we will no longer see through a glass darkly, the King James says, but we'll see clearly the things of God because we will see him in person one day and we'll realize that we look just like him amen so this scripture is not a scripture that can be used to say that prophecy and tongues and interpretation of tongues and gifts of healing and all of those things have passed away i can say it scripturally and i can say it experientially i have laid hands on people and saw them instantly healed you can't take that away from me I did it in Jesus' name. He got all the glory. You can't take that away from me. I laid hands on a man who had no shoulder blade on the right side in Corpus Christi. I put my hand in in the hole in his back, and I spoke a new shoulder blade to him in Jesus' name. In about 20 seconds, God grew him, creative miracle, a brand new shoulder blade. My wife next door was in the class with me. It was in Sunday school. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The greatest miracle I've ever personally been associated with happened in a Sunday school class that I was teaching. Amen. Hallelujah. So don't tell me they passed away. I'm sorry. You're too late. (laughs) When people got to me with the argument that all this had passed away, 
I had already seen blind eyes open. I had already seen deaf ears open. I had already seen people healed miraculously. I had to say to him, listen, you're just too late. I've already seen it experientially. I've seen it in the word and I've seen it in practice. Amen. You can't take that away from me. Glory to God. I'm sorry if I sound militant, but I just really feel fervent about this. Amen. Hallelujah. Glory to God. So what was number one? Number one, speaking in tongues is a gift of God that is for all spirit-filled believers. Amen. Hallelujah. Number two, speaking in tongues is a divine source of communication that makes powerful prayer and communion with the Father possible. Psalm 42, verse 7 in the King James Version. Deep calleth unto deep at the noise of thy water spouts. All thy waves and thy billows are gone over me. That word billows is crashers. This is an Old Testament type of praying in other tongues. Jesus called it rivers of living water over there in John chapter 7, verse 37 through 39. Out of his belly, those that are born again, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. So when you see turbulent, moving water, many times in the scripture, it is a type of the Holy Ghost, and specifically, many times, a type of speaking in divine, unknown tongues. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Jonah, chapter 2, verse 3, he essentially, word for word almost, quotes this psalm here. He's in the belly of the whale at the lowest point in his life. He's rebelled against God. He's turned against the mission that God gave him, and God got his attention and had a whale swallow him up. Hallelujah, and deliver him where he was supposed to go. And in the belly of the whale, this is what Jonah said. For thou hast cast me into the deep in the midst of the seas, and the floods compassed me about. All thy billows, that's that same word, all your crashers and your waves passed over me. So when you're at your lowest, there is a language you can turn to. Your prayer language that allows the deep part of your heart to connect directly with the deep part of God's heart in a way that's just, there's just nothing like it. There's an intimacy and a communion with God that's just not possible any other way because as we're going to find out, tongues bypasses your mind. It goes heart to heart. It's not encumbered or hindered by the, by the limitations of your human mind. It goes right around that heart to heart with God. Glory to God. There's just nothing like it. 1 Corinthians 4 verse 14 in the Amplified Classic makes it as clear as it could be ever made. Verse 14 says, For if I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit, by the Holy Spirit within me, prays, but my mind is unproductive. It bears no fruit and helps nobody. Amen. Hallelujah. Your mind is not in the equation. This is what bothers so many people. How can I pray in a language and not even know what I'm saying? Well, it's heart to heart, spirit to spirit. There will be times where you'll be able to interpret what you're praying, but not always. Hallelujah. All right. Pray out your destiny by praying in other tongues. Amen. Proverbs 20 verse 5. Counsel in the heart of man is like deep water. Some translations say the plans and the purposes that are in the heart of man are like deep water. But a man of understanding will draw it out. Listen, when you pray in the spirit, you draw out the plans and purposes of God that were deposited in there by the Holy Spirit. You draw them out and you bring them to your conscious mind so you can walk them out. First of all, you start praying in the spirit a lot and God will give you a vision. 
He will give you a glimpse of what you can be if you trust Him with your life. Amen? If you give Him the reins, He'll give you a glimpse of what you can be as you continue to pray and draw out. God will give you the steps to get you from where you are now to where He sees you down the road in Him. Amen? That's one of the chief benefits of praying in the Holy Ghost, praying in tongues. You can pray out your destiny step by step. I know, I've done it. Amen. Number three, speaking in tongues is an act of faith that edifies or builds up the believer, spirit, soul, and body. Jude chapter 1 verse 20 in the King James says it like this, But ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. 1 Corinthians 14, 4 in the King James says, He that speaketh in an unknown tongue edifies again or builds up himself, but he that prophesieth edifieth the church. Now that word there, edify, in both cases, building up and edify, they were both translated from the same Greek word. It is a compound Greek word, oikodomeo. It means build up the house. Build up the house. When you pray in the Holy Ghost, when you pray in tongues, you are building up the house of God. Amen. This body that you live in is the temple of the Holy Ghost. Amen. You're building up your temple. You're building up your spirit. You're building up your soul. You're building up your body. Amen. There was research done at ORU and other universities that have shown that when people pray in tongues, their immune system is boosted by as much as 40 to 60 percent. Endorphins are released into your system just like when you do exercise when you pray in tongues. Amen. Don't tell me it's gibberish. Science and the Bible tells me otherwise. Amen. Hallelujah. Number four, tongues is a doorway into the things of the word and into the things of the spirit. When you pray in tongues, your understanding of the word of God will literally explode. First Corinthians 14, six says, now, brethren, if I come unto you speaking with tongues, what shall I profit you except I shall speak to you either by revelation or by knowledge or by prophesying or by doctrine? What does this say to me? i tell you what it says to me. When you pray in tongues, it brings revelation. It brings spiritual knowledge. It brings prophecy. It'll even help you straighten out your doctrine. Bless God. Praise God. Praying in tongues is a doorway into operating in the nine gifts of the Spirit we already mentioned in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 8 through 10. Now, I don't have time to teach on these today, but I'm going to briefly mention them. Word of knowledge, word of wisdom, discerning of spirits, gifts of healing, gift of faith, working of miracles, diverse kinds of tongues, interpretation of tongues, and prophecy. Amen. All nine gifts are available to anyone who is born again and filled with the Spirit at any time. In fact, I've had the privilege over 45 years of walking with the Lord to have been used in all nine gifts of the Spirit. I haven't operated consistently in all nine, but over 45 years, at least one occasion, I can show you where I've operated in the nine gifts of the Spirit. And the reason that that has happened to me is somehow when I was 17 years old, Young Episcopal lad, didn't know anything, got born again, filled with the Spirit, started pouring through the Scriptures. I had this revelation of the importance of praying in the Holy Ghost. 
And so I started praying in tongues at a very early age, and I've been doing it for a long time, and I probably pray in tongues every day for at least an hour. You know, if it's less than an hour, it's rare. If I'm by myself, I'm in the car, I usually don't listen to the radio. I'm praying in tongues. I need revelation. I got a church to build here. I need to know what to do. You know, I need to know who I can trust. I need to know who to connect with and who not to connect with. I need Holy Ghost wisdom. And the way I get it is I pray in the Holy Spirit as much as I can, whenever I can. Amen. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Somebody out there needed to hear that. Glory to God. So let me just share one testimony of several gifts of the Spirit working in combination. Back in 1997, uh, I was in prison ministry. I was also flying for the Air Force Reserve, uh, flying the mighty B-52. Amen. And I go into probably for only the second time in my life, a fit of depression. Now, if you know me and you talk to my wife, you would find out that I am always up. I'm always even keel. I'm not manic up one day, down the next, up one day, down the next. I have never been that way. Always been even keel above the bar. Always been a positive kind of guy. Only two times in my life I can say to you that I really struggled with depression. Once when I was a sophomore at NC State and once in 1997 when I ran into some trouble in the Air Force Reserve and had a a severe disagreement with one of my commanders. And it was really injurious to my career. And so I went into a fit of depression. I let it get to me. And it got so bad that my wife pulled me aside one day and said, Honey, this is not like you. You need to snap out of this. Uh, this, is, this is affecting the family. You know, i got three young daughters. And this is affecting the family. And, and I need your leadership. You need to snap out of this. So I was in the shower. This is after weeks and weeks of just wallowing in depression. I was in the shower and I was praying in the Holy Ghost and the Lord spoke to me. I mean, just out of nowhere, seemingly, it was really out of my spirit. As I prayed in the Holy Ghost, these words came out of my mouth. Cast off the darkness and put on the armor of light. I knew it was in the scriptures. I didn't know where. So after I got out of the shower, I looked it up. It was Romans chapter 13, verse 12. Amen. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Amen. You know what the Lord was saying to me? Hey, listen, the night is far spent. You've been under this darkness long enough. It's time to wake up. It's time to do something about it. Cast off this darkness. Put on the armor of light. You know better. You're a minister. Get this right and get it right now. It was an admonition from the Lord to just straighten myself up and quit feeling sorry for myself. Listen, one thing I know over the years is if you indulge the flesh long enough, you will open the door to demonic oppression. And that's exactly what I did. It started in the flesh, a little pity party, feeling sorry for myself. And then I opened the door and demonic oppression came. And it was so thick, it was like you could cut it with a knife. And so that night, I'm laying in the bed about 2 o'clock in the morning. I open my eyes. I look at the foot of the bed. And on the back wall, I see this upside-down, swirling black whirlwind. It was about 4 feet high. It was just swirling there, just black and dark and menacing looking. And I heard the voice of the Lord speak to me. He said, how much longer are you going to put up with that? And I said, not a second longer, Lord. 
I pointed to that thing. I said, you foul spirit of depression and darkness. Get out of here in Jesus' name. It slid right up the wall through the ceiling. I never saw it again. Now, I wish I could tell you that the next day it was tiptoe through the tulips and everything was wonderful. But, you know, when you get delivered like that, you still have to walk it out in the flesh. The feelings of depression will still be there. You've got to walk yourself out of it. But I did. I walked myself out of it. I began to speak the word of the Lord. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. God loves me. He's got a plan for my life. He is for me. He's with me. He's in me. And after a couple, three weeks of that, it lifted. And it's never been back since. Amen. That was 20 years ago. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Number five, John 16, 13 says, The Holy Ghost will show you things to come. When you pray in tongues on a regular basis, the Holy Spirit will show you things to come. Not just in your life, like I just shared, but in the lives of others so that you can intercede for them. Or in the affairs of your state or your nation or your world so you can pray. Or so you can know what's coming. Amen. Let me just give you a a list here. And I was surprised. I just started jotting them down last night. Times when the Holy Spirit showed me things to come. And I'm, I'm just amazed. In 1984, when I really, really was praying in the Holy Spirit a lot, I was flying for the Marines at Naval Air Station, Corpus Christi. One night, I was in the bed about 2 o'clock in the morning. Everything happens to me at 2 o'clock in the morning. I said to the Lord one time, I am available at other times of the day. (laughs) And he said, I can get to you at 2 o'clock in the morning because you're quiet. Your soul is quiet. The affairs of the day have drifted from your consciousness and you can hear me more clearly. So at 2 o'clock in the morning, all of a sudden, I shot up in the bed and I had a vision of this green 40-foot wave of water crashing over a seawall and engulfing me. And I was like, I took a deep breath. I said, what is this, Lord? He said, there's a typhoon that's going to hit South Korea and you need to pray because hundreds of lives are at stake. So I started praying. Got up the next morning, turned on CNN. Back then, CNN was brand new. I think they were only three or four years old. And right there on CNN, I saw this South Korean typhoon. And I saw these huge 40-foot waves, green water, washing over the seawall and just tearing down buildings, washing things away. It was horrifying. And I said, I saw this last night. The Lord said, yeah, I showed you things to come. Amen. Hallelujah. That was in 1984. Ever since then, it's been a really wild ride. During Desert Storm, I was flying the A-10 back then. I was eager to get into the fight. And we were about 30 days out, and they decided to send another unit before us. And I remember sulking and watching CNN one day. I I guess I just watch it on CNN, you know. And I watched somebody interviewing Benjamin Netanyahu. Mind you, this was years before he became the prime minister for the first time. And they were interviewing him, asking him some policy question. He was some medium-level government position. Nobody ever heard of him. I was watching the interview, and the Lord spoke to me. He said, he will be the next prime minister of Israel. Now, it was about six, seven years before it actually came to pass. George Bush. I was watching George Bush give a speech when he was the governor of Texas. This was probably at the beginning of Clinton's second term. Nobody on the Republican side had even said whether they were going to run or not. I was watching him give a speech, and the Lord said, he will be your next president. 
and it happened. Amen. All right. This is one of my favorites. In 2014, I was praying in the Holy Ghost one night, and I specifically said, in the name of Jesus, I bind up every bomb and every weapon coming against our U.S. senators and congressmen, and I command that they will either uh, ignite prematurely or fail to ignite altogether. On the morning of 9-11, wouldn't you know, at 3 o'clock in the morning, two firebombs were thrown to the windows of the offices of Emanuel Cleaver. Neither one of them penetrated the window. They crashed to the ground with fuses lit and failed to ignite. Amen. Hallelujah. Why is that significant? Well, this was right after the Ferguson riots and whatnot. And the Lord spoke to me. He said, listen, if you think Ferguson was bad, imagine the unrest and the violence and the death toll that would be unleashed if someone successfully bombed the offices of the chairman of the Congressional Black Caucus. I was like, oh, Lord. Oh, I don't even want to think about it. You know? Amen. And by the way, when I prayed, I prayed, Lord, I don't care whether they're Democrat or Republican. They are Americans. And I'm praying for their protection. Amen. And I saw this man in a vision. Found out later that it was Emanuel Cleaver, congressman from Missouri. Amen. All right. Here's one that's kind of out of left field. I saw in a vision one time that Harper Lee, the author of To Kill a Mockingbird, would write a sequel one day. And I thought, are you sure? That book was written over 50 years ago. Did you know she wrote a sequel two years ago to To Kill a Mockingbird? Now, I'm still trying to figure out why the Lord showed that to me. Okay. But there's got to be a reason. Maybe it's because I need to write the sequel to my book. Amen. Hallelujah. I don't know. All right. Testimony of Donald J. Trump. The Lord told me months before he was the Republican Party nominee that he would win the presidency with just over 300 electoral votes and that George Bush Sr. would not be happy about it. He won with 306 and George Bush Sr. was not happy. Amen. And it was blazed abroad in the media. Okay. Why was I able to see these things ahead of time? Because I spent a lot of time praying in the Holy Ghost. And the Holy Ghost showed me things to come. Amen. Let me wrap it up this way. I pray with all my heart that more and more of the body of Christ will wake up to the power that belongs to them through the baptism of the Holy Spirit. If you're listening by podcast... I pray this message would penetrate your heart and that you would cry out to God at this very moment to be gloriously baptized in the Holy Spirit of God. There's simply too much for the body of Christ to get done to evangelize this world in the time that we have left than can be done without the power, the revelation, the intimacy with the Father that can be gained through this vital, life-transforming, and necessary step in the growth and development of every born-again believer. Amen? Amen. We hope you enjoyed today's message on the baptism of the Holy Spirit. If you would like to learn more about Faith Life Fellowship and access more of Dr. Forrest's teachings, you can visit our website at gofaithlife.com. Also, visit and like our Facebook page at Faith Life Wilmington. We believe in God the Father. We believe in Jesus Christ. We believe in the Holy Spirit, and He's given us new life. We believe in the crucifixion. We believe that He conquered death. We believe in the resurrection. 
and he's coming back again. We believe.